someone once told me something really beautiful that um, when when we have moments in our life that that really really are challenging it just feel complete darkness in those moments sometimes even when we turn to Hashem many times at least for me personally specifically in the moments that are completely dark we actually like I I there's no one home there's no one home like at the moments that we really need him the most like he where are you like how come I don't feel you and I heard this beautiful beautiful thing it's kind of like uh, if you watch a child a small child in a playground who's you know most children are scared of of dogs right you watch a child in a playground and they're playing and the the father you know little boy's playing and the father's sitting on a bench somewhere you know watching the child from the side and someone comes along walking a dog and it's a big dog and it's barking away and it's a little ferocious and this little this little boy goes running down from the playground and crying and running over to his father so scared right and and of course the father you know gets down and, and holds his hands open wide and and his son comes running into his arms um what do children do when they're afraid so many times they'll close their eyes um there's a sense of if you don't see it it's not there right this child goes running into his father's arms closes his eyes takes his face and he just presses it into his father's chest just like snuggles in there real tight and his father just wraps his arms around him holds him that's what's going on in our moments of darkness that's what's going on make no mistake about it not only is he there but the reason that it's so dark is because he's holding you so tight Welcome back to Around the Shabbos Table. I am your host, Aaron Wogelanter, and we are a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. Today is somebody, I'm going to have a conversation with somebody who I met recently, um, and I saw like the tip of the iceberg of her, of her life and of her story and how she lived with the reality of a Kaddish Baruch Hu through this, um, through her circumstances. And she's going to come on today and tell us her story. Because of the nature of what we're talking about today, um, it is a very sensitive story, so she wishes to remain anonymous, and because of its length, I'm going to split it into two episodes. This story just covers so many areas um, that we can sort of relate to, although it's um, a bit greater and bigger than we can than I can imagine. Um, this story runs from, from you know abuse to auto accident, physical dis- disabilities, adoptions, um, all under the the context of how how we deal with this and how we see Akadosh Baruch Hu in it, um, how she how the guest relates this to her children, how she relates to her children, and the, and in essence the brachas that Akadosh Baruch Hu gives her um, every day. And I, when I was talking to her, I felt and she she reiterated this a few times in the episode, but um, the main message here is that. This story is alive. It's happening right now. Um, she kept on like saying this, and it's important to realize that it's not. We don't wait for the end until there's a little bow that we can tie and say, oh, "Okay, everything is good." Akash Baruch took care of us until it's written in some famous book about Hashkacha Pratis. Life is happening, and we have to see Akash Baruch um, in it as it as it goes. So here is episode one, and. 
I hope you find it um, as meaningful as I did. Maybe who you are today, and then we'll and then we'll dial it back and why different parts of your life made up um, and affect the decisions that you were able to and continuously make today. Wonderful. Okay, so um, I have the most beautiful, incredible life. <laughs> um, I think Hashem every day for it. Um, I imagine people looking in from the outside who would know my entire life today would go, there's a lot of imperfection there. What is she <laughs> laughing about? But it's, it's, I mean, I guess with the, with the, the perspective of, uh, um, you know, looking in the rear view mirror, I've lived quite a few decades already. Um, it's perfect for me. And I think we learn that over time in life where, uh, you know, it might not, you know, look so beautiful, um, but it's so perfect for me. It's so perfect in every way. And uh, it really brings out the best of me. I'm very grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for every piece. Um, we live out of town in a small community. Uh, we chose to live there. We actually moved from a larger community. Um, and we, we chose to go there because um, my husband and I um, kind of hit a plateau in our growth, um, our Ruchmias growth. And we, we sort of were in a community for over a decade and, and thought uh, almost a decade and a half actually. And, and suddenly we, we weren't like motivated to run to Shirim, to connect with, you know, other, you know, classes that were going on. And, and we sort of looked at each other and said, okay, there's no such thing in Yiddishkeit as being stagnant, right? If you're not going forward, by definition, you're falling. So we got to find the place. We got to find our makom. And we started uh, researching. And funny enough for us, um, the farther we got from the East Coast, um, the happier we started feeling. <laughs> so we started to check into different communities um, all across uh, Midwest and and, um, and and Western United States. And we've, we, we just spend different Shabbosim in different communities. And we got to the community we're in now, and uh, we were invited there for Sukkot. We were there for all of um, uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And as soon as we stepped foot in the community, it just clicked. We just knew there was this unbelievable energy. It's a very um, much a Balchuva community. So there's this incredible energy of growth and people just running to like thirst for more. And you cannot be surrounded by people who are like that and not be affected by it. Um, and it wasn't just us. Our children were just floored. I, I mean, just like there were people in Shul that, you know, I, I remember our very, very first Shabbos in Shul, uh, um, a woman in her 80s came over. It's a very warm community. She said, oh, you look new here. Who are you? And my kids were all around me. They were young. And um, and I, I introduced myself and I said, you know, we're checking out the community. And I said, what's your name? And she said, my name is, and she told me her name, and she said, and I am three years old today. And I thought, okay, there's a punchline. Like, what's? <laughs> <laughs> and she's, she started crying, this 80-something-year-old woman. And my kids were just looking up at her. You know, they were small and just like with their mouths agape, like, what is going on? And she said, three years ago today, I became Jewish. I went into the mikvah. And my husband and I got married, and I'm just feeling so 
overwhelmed with gratitude. And she said, it, it just was, I just remember that moment of going into the mikvah and coming out. And it was like, I was walking around my whole life with like, with like dirty eyeglasses. And then someone took the film off. She's like the whole world, just like, I just saw it, you know, for the first time. And she was just crying. And my kids were like, just completely speechless. And we walked home from Shul. We walked, you know, where we were staying. And my kids were like, mommy, we want to live here. We need to live here. So um, that was the introduction to, to where we, we, you know, where That's we live. So where you live. And it's the, so it's the energy and excitement about being Jewish that uh, drew you into that. Yeah, very much. And has continued to really pull us along and inspire us. Um, the community itself is very much an outreach community, as you can hear. Um, and, uh, there's really no such thing. It's very rare, except in Corona. We, we never really eat Shabbos meals by ourselves. Everyone in the community is either a guest or a host every week. Um, no one eats by themselves. And, uh, we have all types of people by our table. We're so lucky to have many different types of people, people who are, um, from all different, um, you know, fall on all different sides and areas of the spectrum of, of Judaism, but also, um, people who aren't Jewish, who are, um, we live in the, in, in, we do live in the Bible Belt, so we got a lot of people that are interested, um, and uh, many of them end up converting, or we don't, you know, obviously we don't encourage converts, but once the base and accepts them into the community, we are encouraged to have them for Shabbosim. So we have a full spectrum and a typical Shabbos by us when it's not Corona, is about 20 to 30 people, um, unless we're, we're lucky enough to get invited somewhere else, and then we get to be in the 2030 crowd exactly exactly (laughs) to your point of of growth my brother told me a great story today that we grew up in in la jolla in san diego and it's a a similar type of um, energy there as well where you have growth and growth doesn't always look um so pretty on the outside as you have people who are holding in different um different places so there was a from guy who once came to to move to san diego and he was there for shabbos and afterwards he said i'm not moving there and when his rebbe asked him why you know why wouldn't you why wouldn't you move? It's perfect for you. He said, I can't, I can't daven in a place where the guy next to me drove to shul on Shabbos and daven's better than me. So that <laughs> it just speaks to the energy where you yeah. have people who <laughs> may look inconsistent, but they're growing. And that's, that's an energy that's, uh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I remember actually when I was in seminary, um, one of our teachers drew kind of like a mountain, right? Like the slope of a mountain, but he put a ledge like halfway up the mountain and he put a dot on it. And he said, that's you. And it doesn't really matter where you are on the mountain, right? We're all headed in the same direction. We're all just trying to climb higher. So in that way, it it really doesn't matter where people are holding on their journey. If we're all heading in the the direction of, I want to be closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in whatever way that means, then honestly, we're all the same. Then we we just have the same the same goals, we're all in the same place, right? So that's that's how it goes in the community that we live in, and we're very fortunate to have that, yeah. Okay, so that's that's uh, layer number one is <laughs> where you live. Yes. Um, so tell us about your your family. Tell us about your um, your wonderful children we were able to meet, but just tell us about break that open unpack that okay so we're gonna have to go way back now okay <laughs> we already went back okay <laughs> we're gonna have to go way back um so uh when i was uh 18 years old um this is many years ago 
um, I was in a pedestrian auto accident. I was in Eretzisrael at the time, and uh, it was the third day of Hanukkah. Um, my married sister had sent me with her six-month-old baby to go get groceries for, you know, making latkes and Hanukkah stuff that night. And she had gone off somewhere else to, you know, I think, if I remember correctly, her air conditioning was broken. She had to really do something big, so she couldn't have the baby with her. Um, and in true Israeli fashion, you know, I took all of the groceries and stuck it in the bottom of the stroller and around the baby and, you know, how people shop there with their strollers. Um, and it, it was before, you know, the big jogging strollers, the big wheels and everything. It was, you know, one of the older, the older strollers, um, that have the very small plastic wheels. So, um, a little bit more difficult to navigate when it's heavy. And on my way back, I was crossing the street with a baby. Um, I had to cross a very large intersection. I had to go from, uh, the sidewalk to the median. There was one crosswalk. Um, and then there was a second crosswalk from the median to the second side. Um, and when I was crossing from the first sidewalk to the median, the crosswalk was, um, the crossing signal was green for me. Um, so I, you know, stepped off the sidewalk, uh, went across. Um, the first car, the first vehicle that was waiting there um, that I was crossing directly in front of was a massive truck, um, a cement truck. And um, the I noticed that the I was next to the grill at the front of the truck. So the windshield of the driver was actually above my head. It was a very, very tall truck. Um, I got to the median. And when I got to the median, I had to lift the stroller wheels up onto the median because there was a curb there. And I was having a hard time because the stroller was really heavy from all the stuff that I had put in it. And meanwhile, I saw the crossing signal turn from green to red. You still have time, you know, you know you still have, you know, it doesn't automatically turn green. And in Israel, the lights turn from green, from red to yellow to green. So I saw the traffic light turn from red to yellow and out of my peripheral vision. And I was still trying to get that stroller up and it just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dragging out what happened, but this whole thing happened in like a matter of seconds. Um, I knew that if the driver did not see me actually leave the sidewalk, he did not know I was in front of him. And so I listened for it, and then I heard the driver just release the brake, which is like, psh, right? And then as soon as I heard that, I just pushed the baby stroller forward onto the median. I knew I had to get the baby out of the way of the truck. And unfortunately, there was not time for me to get out of the way. And the truck um, went, uh, first knocked me over. So it, uh, the impact of just starting the truck, um, just the force of that knocked me over. And then it, it continued driving and went over me. Um, I don't know why the truck stopped. I'm not sure if someone flagged it down or what. I don't know what happened there. But I never, I did not lose consciousness the whole time. I, I can tell you exactly what the bottom of a truck looks like. <laughs> a cement truck, at least. The wheel went over you or just the, it was the truck? The wheel. Yeah, the wheel. The truck is, the wheels are much, much, much higher than where the truck is. Yeah. So the front wheels went over me. Um, I 
sort of rolled out from under the truck uh, when it stopped. Uh, it was probably a good, probably 150 feet from where I had first been when I was crossing, um, you know, sort of out in the middle of the intersection now. And just my first thought, obviously, was like, I got to make sure the baby's okay, you know. So I, I tried to stand up, but um, my feet weren't working. <laughs> and uh, I think at that moment, I was like, you know, you're, you're sort of like taking in what just happened. Even though my head was like, where's the baby? I was like, you know, my second head was going, why aren't my feet working? And that realization which was beyond me to comprehend evoked a scream out of my throat um a kind of a supernatural scream out of my throat but it wasn't from pain or anything it was just like this shock of what just happened um and people came running right away and I said where's the baby is the baby okay and they immediately made me um just lay down on my back and you know typical what they do for emergency situation they have to mobilize immobilize you make sure that you're not moving or anything. One of the very important things to, to realize about a situation like this is that um, the body actually goes into shock, and so there's no pain. You don't feel any pain, um, which is actually very dangerous. When the body goes into shock, it's very dangerous. It means the whole circulatory system, the way the blood is flowing, is actually going away from the heart. It's, it's very, very... Um, it's a very... Uh, it's a sakana, it's a like the body's in sakana right then. So... Um, I mean, Ezemitsion came and, you know, emergency came and they just kept asking me what my name is and what my phone number is and who I am and do I know where I am? And I was like, I'm fine. My head didn't get hit. Just like my feet aren't working, but like, I'm fine. Just like, you know, I want to go home. I want whatever. And they're like, no, you have to stay here. Are you feeling any pain? No, I'm not feeling any pain. Just let me go home. No, you can't go home. So um, they were just waiting to hear me say, yes, I do feel pain because that, that would have been a good sign, right? So I, I just really laid there on my back. Um, it was probably about an hour and a half before I felt anything. And I can just tell you that it was the most beautiful blue sky. Um, Eretisrael has many of them to offer, but I just that sort of seared into my, my brain during that time. I was just laying there. Obviously, they contacted my sister, and, and you know they came to get the baby, but um, who was fine. Baruch Hashem, he fell on a loaf of bread, not a scratch. So um, he was really um, very, very, uh, a lot of nisim there. Um, and... Uh, they brought you to the hospital. You were just there. They, uh, they they don't they don't move you. They they won't move you until, until the body is showing that it's not in shock anymore. So I I did lay there for a while, and then I w- it, it the pain doesn't come gradually like a toothache. It's kind of like from zero to a thousand <laughs> when the when the system starts working. So um, when I started feeling, I I felt I felt everything, um, and then um, they did take me to. Um, in Eretisrael, the, the, the hospital that is the top hospital outside of Yerushalayim, um, it's where they take soldiers, is Tel Shomer. That's where they took me because they really didn't know what they were dealing with. So uh, I was there. I, I went through a few surgeries, lots and lots of rehab. Um, I lived in a wheelchair for a while, um, in and out of the hospital. A while, I mean years? Uh, not years, but... Um, uh, Oh, almost a year, yeah, almost a year. So and, and then you came and, then, and you, you transferred back to to the U.S. I, yes. So as I mean, obviously the insurance company wasn't happy 
to keep paying, you know, Israel. So once, uh, once I was able to travel, I did come back and I had my final surgery in the States. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, the doctors in Israel, when they discharged me, um, you know, I was still in a wheelchair when they discharged me, but, but when they discharged me, they, they, you know, they told me that they really, they, they can't really guarantee, you know, the walking ability that I'll have. Um, and because of my, my injuries, which were in, in, you know, my torso area, um, you know, that they didn't know how it was going to affect my ability to have children. Um, I think it just never penetrated. I'm not sure if I ever sort of accepted like what they were saying. I, I, I everything was so surreal that it was never like a real reality. People ask me, we make a suda tada every year, and people ask me like, "Wow, like weren't you like, like, like your whole life changed?" And I was like, I don't know. I I I remember them telling me that. I remember the meeting, the discharge meeting, where all the department heads came together. But I honestly never. It wasn't that I didn't believe it. It just didn't relate to me somehow. Uh, it, like so many things had happened that were beyond the doctors that I was like, okay, whatever. They're just saying what they think. Like it, it didn't really sink in that this was my reality. It was going to be my future. So I, I just went forward and I just kept doing therapy and I kept, you know, I was sure it was all going to be fine one day. Like, why wouldn't it be? That's just, that was just my attitude towards it. Um, and, uh, Fast forward, let's say, uh, two years, um, and uh, I was asked one day if I um, would date someone who wears hearing aids, who's deaf. Um, and I, it wasn't a, a thing for me at all. It, it like never that the deafness wasn't a thing for me. Probably because I I was very, very involved with the deaf chapter of NCSY as a child for since I was 14 till I was almost 20. So I had a lot of uh, interaction with people who were deaf and it was very normal for me to be around people who are deaf. Um, the biggest thing for me was that I noticed that people who are deaf, um, who sometimes are raised in homes maybe that, that aren't exposed to um, to deafness or what that comes with um oftentimes like struggle with self-esteem or maybe they felt like misunderstood or maybe the parents tried to uh, I'm, I'm talking like years and years ago i'm talking like you know 30 40 years ago when we didn't have cochlear implants now they can put on a baby a cochlear implant and they can basically grow up you know more or less in a hearing world this is like you had to choose either you were part of a deaf world or a hearing world there was really nothing in between and so, you know, it, it, there's no judgment here. It was just like you had to decide, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to teach my child, right, to um, to communicate with the world? Or am I going to teach the world to communicate with my child, right? I know that was for my in-laws. That was their question. Like, do we teach him sign language? And then, you know, his social life will be limited to the people who know sign language, which is one way to go, right? And he'll feel a part of the deaf world. Or we'll teach him to you know and, and that's a different story my husband has an incredible story in, in his own right but th this was a different world when it came to um, the issue of raising a deaf child and so I was very very aware of this self-esteem component and I knew from where I was coming from that it was really important for me to marry someone who had a very good sense of self um, I knew I needed that strength and so uh, I, I right away looked into that aspect of it 
And then the second aspect I looked into was if it was genetic. And the reason that I did that is because I saw, um, I saw what it took um, for families who were raising deaf children. I was involved with them. You were involved, right. And, uh, and I, I, you know, we learned in, in school, um, you know, about David HaMelech and that we're not supposed to ask for tests and what does that mean exactly? And from my, like, small understanding, what it meant was that, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us a test that kind of comes in, like, a package. It comes, like, the test and the strength to get through it and overcome it and grow from it. But sometimes if we ask for a test on its own, not necessarily does it come in that package. So, you know, for me, I felt in that respect, you know, I would be sort of putting myself into a situation where I was asking for a test, so to speak. And I, I had to make sure that I was aware of, you know, if it was genetic or not. Ended up not being genetic. And we got married very happily. Um, and, uh, and I remember um, when we got engaged... I remember a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine. Um, she meant nothing bad by this. She was being very honest. And she said to me um, the day after she heard I was engaged, she said, you could have married anyone. Like, you're good looking. You're smart. You have, like, so many amazing, like, talents. You know, you could have gotten anyone. Why did you choose someone who's deaf? Um and I, I guess I, I was like taken aback because I didn't even think of it that way. And uh, what came out of my mouth was, um, when you look at him, you see hearing aids. When I look at him, I see a diamond, like I see a person. And when I walked away from that conversation, I kind of like looked up to the heavens and winked and went, that's why I had to be in a wheelchair. Because. Why was that connected to that? Okay. When you're in a wheelchair and you're being pushed around, um, outside, inside, doesn't matter. Think about it for a minute. If you pass someone in a wheelchair, what's the first thing you see? A wheelchair. A wheelchair. There you go. So um, when you're the person in the wheelchair and you spend time in it, and you come out from it, anytime you come up against someone who has a thing, it's not anything you work on. You just automatically don't see the don't thing. Don't see it. Yeah, you just see the person. You can't help it. So I it, just had um, Bracha Getz on the show, and she writes a lot of children's books, right? beautiful children's books. Yeah. And one of them was about um, with, for kids to get them um, to break the stigma of of physical um, disabilities. And she was saying, we always do, There's you have a choice when you see somebody, you can do something with an S. So either you could stare or you could smile. And she says, once you smile, that everything melts away. And you don't see those things anymore. Right. Now you're smiling to them, they smile back, and now you can have a conversation. Now you can interact with them without seeing the, um, the outside. So Yeah. My husband actually has an incredible thing. He One time I, I watched him um, right very soon after we were married, um, we were in Shoal, and um, he saw a kid actually staring at his at his hearing aids. He didn't have implants then. Um, my husband was was born way before they had implants, um, so um, he 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 was just staring at him. And also, my husband has a deaf voice, meaning you know you can tell something's going on there uh, very clearly. So um, 
so he was just listening to him talk and looking at his ears, a little kid, you know, it's very normal. And uh, my husband bent down and, uh, and uh, said to the kid, like, are you wondering what these are? He pointed to his hearing aids. And the kid was shy, but he smiled and he shook his head yes. And he said, or, is that your father over there? We knew who his father was. He said, is that your father over there? He said, yeah. He said, what's your father wearing on his eyes? He said, my father's wearing glasses. He said, what's the glasses do for him? He said, oh, it helps him see. He said, oh, what the glasses do for your dad's eyes, so these do for my ears. And the kid, like, just his whole face changed. He was like, he thought about it, made sense. He was cool with it, skipped away. Like, as soon as you, like, find that commonality, right, as soon as you break the barrier of, of different or, like, how do I relate, right, then that's it. It, it melts away. We're all the same. So that, that allowed you... Um Obviously, that conversation allowed you not to see um, not to see that, and then, um, so you got married. So we got married. We had children. Um, uh, true story. It wasn't until <laughs> I'm trying to think, maybe like eight or nine or ten years after we were married. Um, every time we do a siddur I try to like bring a different lesson and aspect. And I, I was speaking up there one time by Sita Sada, Mamish. It was like a long time after the accident, and we, we already had our you know our children and and um, and I, I got to this part where the doctor said like they don't know how it's going to affect my ability to have children. And my husband's eyes just got like really wide, and I, like I, I was talking into a microphone, you know, and you know, there was like a people there, and and I saw his face, and I was like, I, I just like slapped my hand across my mouth, and I was like, I totally forgot to tell you. and I mean everyone started laughing but like after and I was like I really had to think about like why it wasn't even a thing in my head but I I mean we spoke about this already but it just really wasn't a thing in my head were there any what so obviously the fear of of having children was there but then of not having children but then were there any other um, physical disabilities that that lasted from there I do have I mean I do have you you can't you can't go through a you know, something like that to the body and not, not feel, but, um, it's nothing that affects my, my daily living. It's, you know, I, you know, like the common things are, you know, people who, who go through a lot of trauma to their body, they can tell you what the weather is going to be like the next day. So I can definitely tell you what the weather is going to be like. Um, and, and when I am, you know, when I, when I was carrying my children, um, at the end of pregnancy, it was it was difficult for me to carry them, um, just because there are certain muscles and ligaments that are no longer attached. Um, so you know, I really you know I, I rather had to carry on my own. So what what what's the process for you when you experience that pain? Um, does it bring you back to the accident? Does it bring you to your suicide? Does it bring you to a place of grateful for all the times you don't have it like what's the process of that when you experience the pain from the from the accident um this reminds me of another question (laughs) um at a first suda suda and my first suda suda it was just i mean maybe a year um year and a half after the accident um there were big rabbanim there. It was an Eretz Yisrael. There were very big rabbanim there. And one rav stood up and and spoke. And then he said, I, I have a question for for you. And he looked at me and I, he said, can you share with us what you were thinking that moment 
that you were hit and, you know, run over by the truck. And uh, I said to him, yeah, I remember exactly what I was thinking. And he's like, okay, what? And everyone's like on the edge of their seat. And I said, I was thinking, wow, this is what it feels like to be run over by a truck. And people kind of like chuckled. I, 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 was, I was being very, very honest. Like, you're asking me a question. Like, you know, when, when, I, feel, when I feel, you know, that pain at the end of, of pregnancy, like, do I connect it? No, it's, it's very, it's very normal. It's just a normal um, part of life. And it doesn't really connect to anything other than that um, it's a reminder that I have a body and it works, Baruch Hashem, right? But it doesn't really, there's no trauma there. There's no like um, fear of anything. There's nothing like that. It's just kind of, it's, it's my normal, right? I don't really know what pregnancy at the end without that feels like, right? People ask my kids all the time, what's it like to have a father who's deaf? And they're like, well, what's it like to have a father who's not deaf? Like it's their normal, right? It's just that that becomes their normal. So um, I think in general, you know, there's big things that have gone on in my life and, and they just become, you know, everyone has things. They just become our normal. Um, and, uh, and we can just choose to, to just let them sit there and just pick them up when we need them, maybe look at them a little, maybe get what we need from them and then move on. But, um, yeah, nothing remnant from the accident really stops me in my tracks except the anniversary of, of the day it happened, which is when we do our Sudasada. And, and that's kind of like, you know, what we do on Yom Kippur, where we just really stop and take stock. And, and that's what it's like for me. Why do you say our Sudasada? Um, Sorry to nitpick, but... <laughs> because when you go through a situation and come out on the other side, but statistically, you shouldn't be here then everything that comes after that is part of the nace. My husband, my children, the friends that I met afterwards, the experiences that I've had, right? I've had over 20 years of almost 25, right, of Nisim and Niflos that are all part of what happened that day. I'm here. But it didn't happen then. It's still happening now. So ours is collective to everybody everybody that's come since. Yeah. We actually had one year at the Sudha Sada. I said to the kids, okay, your turn. How many talks every year? It's your turn to talk. And, uh, and so I didn't speak that year. My kids spoke, each one of them, about what my accident, how my accident affected their lives and uh, is sewn into the fabric of who they are. It's a beautiful thing. They each spoke. You know, separately. Well, then I'm happy I nitpicked there on that yeah. because I know I, I think that's that's insanely powerful. That um, what did they, if you remember, but what did they say? What did the kids? Just knowing them, I can imagine they said something. <laughs> I have to remember now. Uh, oh, but but okay. So even if you don't, then how how do you think in from your from your vantage point? How do you think it affects their lives and um, who they are and who they'll become? I think it kind of goes together with, you know, I didn't realize this. I didn't realize that in marrying, you know, someone with my husband's um, set of circumstances, 
um, is definitely not a disability. He is so abled. Um, but, um, you know, with what, his... What an awesome way to say it, to just to say <laughs> circumstances, it's not <laughs> yeah, disabilities, just, right? What it's just what giving. it is, yep. right? So ears don't work. Um, but, uh, yeah, with his set of circumstances, um, and and I didn't even realize that I was coming with my set of circumstances from from a child's point of view growing up. What that does is um, when they come up against something different, it doesn't phase them. Um, kind of, we just kind of pass that down by osmosis, I guess. They grew up in it. Um, they saw it in so many different types of um, ways, in, you know, within the different aspects of our lives. And, uh, you know, and there, there's so many layers of it. My husband's a Balchuva, right? And we have this amazing close relationship with his parents. They are so close with their grandchildren, right? What what a beautiful thing for children to see that, um, you know, no, they don't keep Shabbos. I know that they don't keep Kashras, but you can actually have a beautiful, respectful relationship um, if you base it on your similarities and you just put the differences aside. So I, I think that kind of like is definitely the biggest way that it affected them. Um, and uh, aside from that, they definitely have a very strong appreciation for the fact that they are here in this world. Um, through my story, they are very aware, um, you know, that they might not be here if I wasn't here. So that that's a big, big deal for them. Um, and I think they're just like, I think they feel like they're cool because like their mom got run over by a truck. You know, like <laughs> who gets to say that? You know, so I think they think that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Tale, right? <laughs> um, I think that, that message always speaks to me because, um, like I said, we're we're very um, we try to hide our differences. I don't know why our communities sometimes sometimes do that. And uh, there's a system of of conformity and of everyone has to be the same. And it's um, scary what people try to hide um, and change about themselves. And and the fact that your children grow up that whether it be this gratitude for being alive and for their mother being alive, whether their father having certain circumstances or their father not being coming from a certain, um, a certain world and a certain place. Um, and things don't phase them because and they're not hiding anything. Uh, we spend Shabbos with your children. They're open, they're um, excited and happy with who they are. And they, um, you can ask them any question. And I got to, uh, got to schmooze with one of your kids and we were uh, we were doing dishes together after Shabbos and we were schmoozing and like nothing's off limits. There was no hiding, there was no nothing and that's um, that's super important just to turn it also to the listener, to us, that there's nothing to hide. If anything, you'd be grateful and when you're grateful, it teaches your kids and teaches people around you to be grateful and to um, to not be phased by, by all the differences that happen. Everyone's different and everyone has something. Yeah, I want to mention, you just reminded me something, actually. Um, I know a very big um, takeaway for my kids, not just from this, but it definitely started from this, was um, as a as a teenager, even before when I was younger, but I was really bothered by it as a teenager. I had a certain mita that really I couldn't break. I just couldn't get it. And... I really, like, it felt like it was defining who I was in the most awful way. I couldn't get past it. And I had tried so many different things, so many different things. 
um, you know, by myself with other people, you know, getting advice. I just couldn't break it. And I knew where it was coming from. I understood why I was like getting myself into trouble in this area all the time with myself, but I just couldn't get there. And I, as I was walking down the street, pushing the stroller, as literally as I was that day getting to the crosswalk, I was thinking in my head, wow, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I just can't do this. Maybe you need to just stick your hand into my life and just like punch me hard. I literally was thinking that. And then I crossed the street and I got hit by a truck. So then, don't take any conclusions from this yet. Um, one of the incredible people that I had the opportunity to speak to after the accident was Rav Berkowitz. And um, I asked him this question. And uh, he made it very clear to me that since I'm not a tzaddik, I can't just like say things and assume that, you know, I get automatic results. That's not how it works. I'm a benoni. And, uh, and there's many different reasons why Hashem sends suffering to people. Um, and he gave me, you know, it's, it's not for this podcast, but he gave me a beautiful perspective. Um, but I was left to go figure out this mida on my own then, right? Because the accident surely wasn't going to cure it. And uh, this mida actually followed me into the early part of my marriage and when my children were younger. And I made a choice to actually share what I was thinking that day with my children and to actually tell them what I was struggling with. And I made them part of, you know, I want you to know that this is, this is something that I'm working on. Um, and that was very powerful for them. I do remember um, one of my kids mentioning that when they spoke of learning that it's okay not to be perfect. And Hashem loves us and he's not going to punish us, right? Even if we're not perfect. So being flawed is, again, it doesn't define who we are. It's um, a springboard to where we can get. So I, I have to say I, I definitely struggled with this Mina for many, many years. And it did take something um, strong to, for me tr to finally, you know, say that's it and, and, and you know, overcome it. Um, but it wasn't physical pain. It was it was more of an emotional thing that I realized this is not going to work. I have to, you know, that's it. Have to, you know, cold turkey, that's it. So um, that's just a side point, but definitely something that um, that wasn't just weaved from this accident, but just really weaved a lot throughout our home. Um, this whole idea, I always say, you know, people say the power, most powerful words, you could tell your children, I love you, right? Like, actually, I really think the most powerful words we can tell our children is I'm sorry. For children to um, see and understand that, that we're human and we, we're making mistakes and we're on this journey to use those mistakes to lift ourselves higher is the most powerful gift we can give them. Because guess what? They're going to go out in life and they're going to make mistakes. And they need to know it's okay. Like, we don't need to fall apart. It's actually a gift. And we could use it. We can grow from it. So, yeah, that, that definitely was a very big part of, of lessons that the kids uh, took from it. I actually have my clothes from the accident. 
Um, I keep them in my closet. I take them out once a year. You know, they, 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 you know, they had blood on them and they got torn up and they were cut eventually when I went to the hospital, you know, they cut them off of me, but, um, I did keep them. Some of what I'm saying now is like, it evokes these things in them. Yeah. That was the end of part one. Um, and I hope you were able to take something from that. Please. I feel like this episode is bigger and greater than I. So, um, if you could share this with someone who who might be going through a challenging time, who might have had a challenging life and needs to put it into perspective. Um, this is shareable. And uh, I hope you do share that with at least uh, one other person. So if you want part two, you can go um, to the next episode and find part two. <laughs>